Hi folks, and welcome to White Collar Week. It's the isolation that destroys us. The solution is in community. Today on the podcast, we have Yaku and Leslie Theron, two ministers in South Africa serving the poor and marginalized people in the bush. You might already be asking, what do South African missionaries have to do with white collar justice? Well, I urge you to watch or listen to this episode in order to find out. Leslie was my classmate at Union Theological Seminary about a decade ago. We stayed Facebook friends ever since. Last summer, at the start of the pandemic, my wife Lynn and I were in the backyard most weekends and listened to Yaku and Leslie preach on Facebook Live. What we heard and learned changed us forever and taught me huge lessons in identity and oppression, helpful to white-collar families and all people on the margins, including myself. So, coming up, Yaku and Leslie Theron from South Africa on White Collar Week. I hope you will join us. Hello, and welcome to White Collar Week, a podcast sponsored by Progressive Prison Ministries, the world's first ministry serving the white-collar justice community. I'm Jeff Grant, co-founder and your host. I served almost 14 months in a federal prison for a white-collar crime I committed when I was a lawyer, so I know that it's the isolation that kills us and the solution is in community. So let's get started. Hi, folks, and welcome to White Collar Week. I have this is the most special show. I can't even tell you. Stay tuned for this. You have to watch this one. We have friends of mine from South Africa, Yaku and Leslie Theron. And I went to seminary with Leslie and she met Yaku. I don't really know the story yet, but she's gonna, they're gonna tell us. And they moved to South Africa, where he's from, and they preach and they minister there. And so here's my connection with it, because um, one day I was, uh, I was in the backyard last summer during pandemic with, uh, with Lynn, and uh, something came across Facebook that said that, that Yaku and Leslie were going to preach on their uh, Share the Kingdom podcast or Facebook Live. And we put it on and it was life altering for us. It, it was. I understood not just the Bible and not just scripture and not just kind of uh, my whole sense of being and meaning got influenced in this profound way. So I, we, we listened all summer and then I knew I had to reach out to them and ask them if they would be on because I think that this is a message that everybody needs to hear, but they think they especially need to hear it if you all need to hear it if you're suffering from oppression issues and identity issues, the kind of issues that happens certainly to a lot of people who are suffering from white-collar justice issues and our families and our friends and everything else. So um, what we're going to do today is a little different than we've normally done. We have two video clips. Um, one is of uh, Yaku and Leslie doing healing in South Africa, and we're going to let them set up the clip. And then we're going to um, have them introduce themselves and get a little bit of their backstories. Then we have another clip of Yaku actually doing a uh, kind of a Bible study or a, or a scripture analysis about identity. And then we'll talk about the topic, which is um, oppression identity. So uh, Yaku and Leslie, welcome to White Collar Week. It's so wonderful to have you. <laughs> it's good to be here. Thank you for having us. <laughs> it's kind of freaking me out that you guys are in South Africa and I'm in Connecticut and that we can do this, you know? 
<clears throat> so Leslie, um, just just before we came on, you 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 did set up the clip that we're going to see. So why why don't you set up the clip again and explain to us exactly what it is? Yeah. And we'll take two yeah. minutes and we'll watch it together. Yeah. Go ahead. So basically, the clip you're about to see was this happened in 2016. Um, we were invited to a church in South Africa, um, kind of near Johannesburg. Um, by a prophet that we're friends with. His name is William Undi, and he has a ministry called Beloved Sons. Um, and he invited us to come minister there. And so we preached, and then we prayed for the sick. So typically what we do is we'll preach a word, and then we open up to start praying for the sick, or sometimes we give prophetic words. And so this clip is from that meeting. Awesome. All right, Chloe, why don't you run the clip and we'll all watch it together. Where's the pain? <laughs> okay, she's just been she's just been healed of rheumatoid arthritis. She said to me she have all she have pain in all her joints all the time. I have arthritis. Oh, you have arthritis. Okay. All right. Did you have, did you have any pain? Yeah, I have pain in all my joints. In all your joints, from constantly. Down okay. My hips. Everywhere. Did you have pain when you came? Yes, it's basically a thing with. Is it? Okay. And now? It's better. It's gonna kill you. I believe that. Yes, kind of. Okay. Look at me. Right now. In the name of the Lord Jesus Christ of Nazareth, who is present here to heal you. I command the arthritis to leave your body and never come back again. Okay. Thank you, Jesus. Where's the pain? Where's the pain? <laughs> okay, she's just been she's just been healed of rheumatoid arthritis. She said to me she have all she have pain in all her joints all the time. All her joints all the time. Thank you, Jesus. God is good. Awesome. The pain, she's 23 years old. She has pain in all her joints all the time. She's got rheumatoid arthritis. That's awesome. The pain just left. For how long have you had it? Since I was 16. Since she was 16. So could you do that before without pain? It hurts. I can't write for very long or anything. And now how does it feel? It's not even scratching. That's awesome. God is good. That's awesome. Thank you, Jesus. God is good. Awesome. I'm, I'm, I'm crying. I, 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 I can't, I can't believe it. So, um, wh why don't you tell us what happened there? And then we'll go into the stories. <laughs> you want to go? go? I just wanted to tell you, and then Yaku can tell you what happened there. But I checked on, I'm friends with that girl's mother on Facebook. 
And about two years later, I asked her how her daughter was still doing and she's still healed. It's, it's unbelievable. Yeah. So you can. So, you know, I think actually it it just sort of came to me while we were, you know, while we were watching the video and it was just refreshed to me. And you asked us to speak on the subject of, on the topic of identity Mm -hmm. um, or discuss the topic of identity. And I think that if, if I have to watch it, I think for me, and I'm going to share something very shortly that happened in my history, uh, probably 12, 14 years ago, and that really shaped my identity. Um, I'll share it later on, and it's about it's about how Jesus sees us, and not about how we see ourselves. And when I've when I watched the clip, to me, the the, the the understanding of identity just comes forward. It just it's just edified, and it's not about my identity. It is about the identity of a believer, um, and us taking a hold of that. Um, and and that's that's what I mean with identity. Um, I, I think, and we you've watched our videos, like you mentioned earlier our broadcasts and so on. And for me, the the big thing is the fact of God is really that good. He's really that good. And the fact that we don't understand his goodness all the time doesn't make him not to be good. And you know, there's a there's a man of God that we follow and he always says, God is better than you think he is. And I think you know, I know that sounds so um, nearly like a cliche, but yet it's true mm-hmm. if you think about it. Mm-hmm. And and to me, that's just, I just find it amazing. It just blows me away. So um, one of the things that I loved about last summer is that although, Leslie, you preached on Saturdays and, Yaku, you preached on Sundays, and very, very different, right? Basically, one is uh, on Saturday, I guess, is kind of a healing. And on Sunday is kind of a scripture analysis. I'm not sure if that's accurate or what you intend. Sure. But, but certainly, that's what I, what I got from it. But what, what I love, and this is like in my marriage, um, on Saturdays, Leslie, you kind of did your thing. And then on Sundays, Yaku, you would do your thing, but Leslie would correct you from the side. And, and, and it's exactly what goes on in my marriage. So, so um, why don't you kind of just introduce yourselves, what your background is. Leslie, I know you're from the Midwest and, um, and you were a super kind of involved person in seminary when you and uh, Joseph Cohn and Rick Thorsell and, and I were all there. But this is certainly not, if I had to guess, where you would have gone. Or in, So wh- why don't we start with you since I've, I've known you for 10 or 12 years and then we can kind of go from mm. there. Yeah, no, I, um, well, you know, for me, part of the reason that I went to seminary was the fact that 
I wanted to be in ministry. And um, I felt that God had placed a call on my life um, when I started believing in Jesus. And so when that happened, I was like, I just, I, I should go to seminary. That's what you do to go into ministry. And so I always knew that I was going to end up in ministry. Um, I just didn't know where I was going to end up. And one of the things that I think led me to Africa, well, I know definitely led me to Africa because, you know, I had received a prophetic word from different people at different ministry events, but way before I met Yaku, um, that I would end up in Africa. (laughs) And, um, so I was like, wow, you know, I always wanted to go to Africa, but I was like, wow, this is a big deal. This is like my whole life will change if I do this. But, um, so I was really nervous when I received those prophetic words, but I also knew inside that it was true that I I just could see myself doing that. So when I met Yaku, it, um, and how I met him was I met him at a ministry event that I traveled to in South Africa from New Jersey. And so when I got there, um, there was a conference. And so I attended the conference and Yaku was at the conference. Now, I didn't really meet Yaku at the conference. I mean, he saw me, but we didn't really um, engage or anything. And so then when I flew back home, he friended me on Facebook and we started speaking um, via Skype about just ourselves and like what we were doing in ministry and all these kinds of things. And we found that what we wanted to do was lining up. So we, um, you know, we have a heart for missions in terms of going out into the African bush and, and preaching to people that nobody would really ever go out and preach to. And we have a passion for, um, the lost. We have a passion for people that, um, that are kind of thrown out of church, um, based on, you know, they're not behaving or whatever. We have a passion for, um, people to have a relationship with God. So when we discussed those things, we knew, and we also have a passion for miracles and for signs and wonders. So we just, our, our desires lined up. So, you know, obviously the rest is history. We got married and I moved here, but um, it was the fact that both of our callings were similar in what we wanted to do in ministry. And so I knew that if, I didn't meet someone like that, then I just, it wouldn't work <laughs> because um, it would have just been so awkward um, for my partner if they weren't kind of in the same boat, so to speak. So, yeah. <laughs> um, and so, Yaka, you, you saw Leslie at this conference. This is, I'm feeling like this could be like the dating game. So you saw, <laughs> you saw Leslie at this conference and where were you in your life at that time? Because you're, you're going to a conference in South Africa and you're South African, which is a very different head than someone coming from the States to go to something that's like a big mystical, something you don't know about that's on the other side of the world. Okay. So I was, um, I actually went to Bible school at that church and they had a, uh, biannual pastors and leaders conference, which was the very conference that I, you know, we sort of met up, not really, we didn't really start speaking until later on, but I mean, that's where we met up and where I saw her. 
And um, I was not attending there regularly, but I was actually pastoring a church at the time, um, at, at the time of that conference. And so I was also, um, it was a small church. It was more like a mission-based type of setup. And I was also involved in business. In fact, I owned two businesses of my own at the time um, that I later, well, actually during that time period, I, the one business I, I, um, I started renting one of my properties out and then instead of running it as a business and the other business I closed down because um, I wanted to put more time into ministry and especially traveling ministry into African bush and, you know, that type of thing. And so it's sort of, and that, that sort of transition started happening towards the second half, maybe, maybe even the first half of 2014. And the conference was in 2015. So I was already going through that transition um, and moving towards that direction, um, you know, when, when we started speaking. And then I think we spoke for about three and a half to four months before I went to visit her in New Jersey for a couple of weeks. Um, and the reason why I could do it, funnily enough, was because I just, you know, I had a passive income because of the business transition, but Technically, my businesses were shut down, so I had a passive income from renting out uh, real estate, mm-hmm. and and so of course, like I said, it was a, a huge transition. But um, it was just finalized by the time that I went to go and visit her in Jersey um, during that time period. And 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 that was it. I mean, it kind of like it all came together then. <laughs> yeah, I mean, it really it really did because you know. It, <laughs> And of course, when she came over, she came to visit. Then we, w- then she went back. I went back again to visit her. Then she came over, and of course, that's when we got engaged and got married and all of that. Mm-hmm. Um, but it really did come together. And what I can say, and I still consider that a miracle, because if I haven't gone through that transition before meeting her, um, I definitely don't think it would have been possible that we got married. Never mind being married, but. You know, we wouldn't have even had a relationship to be, you know, to be quite honest. So, so yes, I do think it's just came together. Um, so, so I, I, I have to tell you that because I, I, I see, I, I told this to Yaku on the phone last week, uh, on Zoom last week. Um, I, I watched both of you a lot, but not together. You know, yeah. because, and so it's so it's so cool to watch the two of you kind of interacting with each other because because you each do your own did your own thing on Saturdays and Sundays. But I know you've been um in, you were in the states for uh, I don't know a long time this last winter yeah, during the pandemic. Yeah, yeah, and um I know you cel- both celebrated your birthdays while you were over here. Yeah, so this is the miracle of social media. It's unbelievable. So <laughs> so. Yaku, is this the first time that you saw this country um, and saw really like what our natural wonders are about? Um, no, I mean, we went, when I went to visit her the first time, um, I actually went fishing. She was working um, at a re- rehab um, 
you know, I, I, she yeah. explained what she did exactly, but she was working at a big rehab, a drug rehab for teenagers. Mm. And um, while she was working in the mornings, I would go and to um, to go and fish. In fact, one of, I still remember what the name of one of the parks that we went to in New Jersey called Wawayanda, which is, of course, an Indian name. Mm-hmm. And um, the second time I went over to, to visit her, I was there for six weeks, I think. Yeah. yeah. And, and we, went, we went to the UP in the middle of December, yeah. the Upper Peninsula of Michigan. Mm-hmm. And so I definitely saw a lot more this time yeah. than the previous times, but I have seen a little bit every time I went over. I just, I, I love nature, so I can't help but, you know, poke my nose into, um, you know, some of those reserves and, and so on. So, but I'm, I'm just picturing Leslie's working in a drug rehab, which of course is dear to my heart because. Yeah. And, and, and you take a fishing pole over to like the Hackensack River and you're pulling up like car parts and tires and this, like, this, this, there's no fishing. No, that what he did was there was this park. It's it's like more northern New Jersey. It's not. It wasn't super far from where I was. No, it wasn't that far. But it was a, its own lake, so mm. it had its own like fish and what what. So it was more like I don't know what was all in there. There was I don't remember. There was that long skinny fish. What was that thing called? Oh, it was like a it was like a type of pike. Yeah. Um, yeah, it was a type of pike, and of course, bass, something and like that. trout, and the the Walla Yanga Lake had salmon in it. I remember, but I didn't catch any salmon. Um, yeah. So, one of the things that I've I, I've definitely noticed that is that it feels like your life are lives of extremes, and, yeah. and it's not just like first world, third world extremes, which is something I think is super interesting, but. We get a little slice of your life from social media, and here you are in the bush, um, um, doing outdoor uh, revivals. Basically, I think what they are. Yeah. I mean, you'll have to describe them. Doing healings with a, a pastor from Zimbabwe, and then there is a video of Yaku riding dressage. Now, for those of yeah. you out there who are don't know what dressage is. It basically is is English style riding with all of the accoutrement, and it's something that people from the bush don't do, right? That's fair, yeah. right? Yeah. So, how is it that you live kind of that bifurcated life, and do you, is it like you have a life of privilege and that? And that allows you to spend, do your calling, or is it really not kind of privilege and poverty? Is it really just this integrated life that you have? And, and how do you reconcile all of that in, in what, what Yaku described when we were on the phone as a third world country? Mm. So, I mean, did you want to say something? I know what I want to say. Did you want to say something about that specifically? Well, I just, um, one of the things, because I was, I was kind of thinking about this topic that you were bringing up to us, Jeff, about especially poverty and identity, which, you know, we're getting to there. Um, 
But what I will say is that um, coming from America, when I came from America to South Africa, um, it was a huge culture shock for me. So it was, I mean, it really took me a long time to adjust because I had never seen poverty um, like real poverty where it was like, um, you know, people had these shacks and they have maybe a chair, but there's no floor. It's dirt. Um, there's no running plumbing system. There's a hole in the ground. Um, they don't, a lot of times they don't have electricity. Um, they, they, they don't really eat all the time because they just, they don't have the finances, but it was, I had never seen poverty to, to that level. So it took me a long time to adjust. And, and one of the things that I want to say is the dynamic here, you know, with Yaku was saying about being third world is that it really is such a two kingdoms, so to speak, if I can say it like that, it's, you really have, there's no middle class. So you really have poverty and people that have money. <laughs> there's really just no, there's no real middle class. There's no like, blending of uh, you know of that it's mm -hmm. it's really like such a, a a strong dynamic and why i think the gospel works so well here to answer your question about you know what we do and what we're called to and that is that why i think people receive the gospel here easier a lot of times than i think they do in first world countries like in the united states or something is because um it is it is good news for the poor that they don't have to stay where they are, that, that there is hope and there is a possibility of coming out of it. Mm -hmm. And when you're in a first world country where there's a strong middle class or there's not that dynamic, a lot of times people don't grasp onto a message because they don't think they really need that mm -hmm. or you know, they, they don't think they really need the gospel. But the people here know that they need it. So, so you know, one of the things that I think in terms of poverty versus privilege is like, and Leslie can elaborate on that a lot more than than I can, um, because she comes from the United States, which which is a first world country, and um, and she lived, she grew up there, she lived there for most of her life. Um, and even though I've been in Europe uh, probably six consecutive years, three months at a time, I didn't grow up there. I didn't, um, you know, and I didn't live there for most of my life either. So, um, and the reason why I'm saying she she's sort of educated, if I can call it that, to speak on that subject is because, you know, uh, we've had the discussion many times, myself and Leslie have had the discussion many times about the fact that, you know, if you don't, if you don't sometimes take a stand back, and this is not just focusing on poverty and neither is it just focusing on privilege, but if you don't take a stand back in a situation or in the situation that we've been over the last five years, if you don't constantly take a stand back and have a look from the outside, instead of looking 
at the situation from the inside, you very quickly become blinded by your present situation. And I'm going to just call, you know, one of the things is, for example, is we have something that because of the way in, in 1996, this country um, was awarded um, uh, with a price of having the best electricity, or you guys would call it power, the, the best power system in the world. This was in 1996. This was an international reward. So about, it, it took about not many years after that, it started declining. And for the past eight years, but more specifically, the more, I would say the past four years, more intensely, have had power shortages and power breakages on a regular basis, sometimes daily. And there's times when you won't have power for three days. Mm -hmm. And, you know, what the consequence of that is, is that if you don't have power, you typically also not have water until you have a well, or we call it a borehole, because, you know, but if you have a ball, you still need alternative power like a generator, or we, we eventually got solar, and so we're privileged to have solar now. But all of those things was a huge transition for us because we didn't have tons and tons of capital because we, we threw our whole lives into, you know, going into the bush and, you know, sharing the goodness of God with people that had absolutely no money. And so we were really living on the edge when it came to finance. So by the time that things came to a point where we really didn't have a choice, but we had to get solar power. So... You know, in the U.S., you have it because it makes better financial sense if you have capital or, you know, it's, uh, you know, you want to you wanna save the environment, which I have, I think it's a great idea. But yeah, it looks like if you don't have it, you don't have power. You know, you, you basically don't have a choice. And the point is, if you don't have the capital, you don't have it. So what I'm trying to say is, is that, there were those moments in our lives where we really had to keep our focus on what, how Jesus sees us as opposed to how we see ourselves and or how we see our situation or the circumstances around us. Mm -hmm. And I think that to me, there were moments like that where identity played a very key role. And I'm not going to lie by saying it was easy because many times it wasn't, you know, um, because of the fact that we live on the edge or we have and still live on the edge um, in, in many ways. Um, and so, yeah, I think, I, I think the key is to be able to, you know, keep your focus in the right place in terms of, your identity. Um, and, and like you said, we'll go into that later. So. Well, well, we're, we're getting to, we're getting towards that right now. Um, okay. The, the, the thing that, that, um, the real reason I asked you to, to, to come on this podcast was because the people who I minister to, I, I serve with, it's all one big identity issue. It's people who mm. were, were, had, had a life and then, um, seemingly in a moment, actually, it probably took quite a while to get there. They, they left one life and then they enter another life 
and then yeah the the uh, um the struggle they have with uh, um acceptance and surrender of their new lives and the attachment and clinging to the old life and the fear of the future it's all kind of there and um the suffering is is mostly internal whether it's mm. whether it's their own personal identity or it's internal within their family unit that's now being stressed sometimes to the point of no repair and so i saw you both speaking and preaching about the same issues but mm. um in a way that as you said yako that uh, that i couldn't take a step back from either my personal situation or the ministry that i have and i needed to see it through fresh eyes so to see you two talking about it but in relation to something that is completely different circumstances but somehow the same was yeah. was so powerful so when i when i when i called you up and i said that um i want to talk about you know identity and um and um oppression and and poverty and privilege um you were right on it it was like and and frankly um when when uh, i spoke to yaku because uh, Leslie couldn't be on that call it took you about yaku it took you about two minutes to get like right into the heart of the matter and like you do on sunday mornings it, it, like right into the heart it was just so i thought what we would do is we would ask you to um to give a little bible study or to or, or to preach a little which we have on tape and um then what we would do is we all watch it together and then we could use that as a jumping off point to have our conversation about um identity yeah. and um oppression and poverty and privilege so, so yako why don't you set this up and then we'll have then we'll have uh, chloe run the video and we'll all watch it together does that work for you guys okay yes perfect. all right so so yako why don't, why don't you set it up tell tell us what you did here and 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 why you did it and then we'll uh and then we'll uh we'll watch okay. it together So so this recording was actually done a couple days prior to you uh to us having that initial meeting a few weeks ago and it's unedited it it would have gone um it was in the process it's in the queue to go to um my video editor for the YouTube channel and you know for our ministry channel and all that um one one of the things you know that happened prior to you inviting me to or prior to inviting us to this um Zoom meeting was i had a while we were in the US we obviously were sort of it's not really the correct term but for lack of words we were basically on a um sabbatical we were on a holiday we had mm. we needed some time off we wanted some time off leslie hasn't been in the US for basically 5 years and so we had to just take some time and you know spend time in the US and it, i had a, t- a lot of time to reflect and i came to the, i had a discussion with a number of ministers who i trust and i came to the conclusion that the most needed subject in the world right now with any um with in any denomination is the subject of identity 
because what you believe you are is what you act out. In other words, it is yeah. what you manifest. Yeah. And it doesn't necessarily mean that you intentionally become that, but it's a part of your um, spiritual yeah. and psychological process. Yeah. So when you have a false identity, I really don't care if you're born again, um, spirit-filled, you know, called of God, etc., etc. You can cue all those things up. But if you have a fake identity, if you don't have a true identity of um, not only of yourself, like a, you'll see that I mentioned that in the video, but of who Jesus is and how he sees you, yeah. you will you will manifest the wrong stuff, if I can put it like that. I know it's not good English, but um, you will manifest the bad stuff, in other words. And so unless your identity is um, it, it has a proper foundation, you, you're going to miss it some way or the other, especially if, if you have all are about to go through hardship. And I think, you know, we can say what we want to, but that happens to all of us sooner or later, of course, to some to a greater degree and some to a lesser degree. But I don't think that change any, changes anything in terms of um, the importance of identity and for a believer and as a believer. Yeah. All right, so why don't we watch the video, and um, mm -hmm. it's, what, about nine or ten minutes long, and then, yes. uh, then we'll talk about it. Cool. Yeah. All right, great. It's, it's vital that we know, it is vital that we know who we are, all right, um, in relation to Jesus. But before we know who we are in relation to Jesus. It's even more vital that we know who Jesus is, all right? And so that's what I mean with identity, and that's what I mean with, um, okay? That's what I mean with all these things, all right? So I'm just going to start off in Revelation chapter 16. Oh, forgive me. I'm going to start off in Revelation chapter 1, verse 16, and I'm just going to share a few things about identity, that is really key because, you know, if we walk around all day with like this perception that we are defeated and, you know, everything is, is against us and the world is against me and, you know, the world is busy falling apart and, uh, you know, and nothing is working out. Guess what? Nothing's going to work out. But if we walk around, you know, despite our circumstances, if we walk around with the idea that Jesus is on my side, the hand of the Lord is upon me. I'm righteous. I'm favored by the Most High. I'm called. Okay. Um, I'm elected. All right. I'm seated with Christ in heavenly places. If I walk around with that mindset, you know, and I and I go around doing my business with that mindset, guess what I'm going to end up doing? I'm going to conquer the world around me because my mind is then aligned with the mind of Jesus. All right. So, and that's why it's important to have identity and to understand what my identity is with Jesus, right? So let's start in Revelation 1, verse 16. He says, He had in his right hand seven stars, all right? And out of his mouth, when it sharp to its sword. Now, we know that the sword speaks about the word of God, all right? 
So we know that Jesus is speaking his word, and that word is sharper than a two-edged sword, dividing asunder flesh and spirit, all right? In other words, when the word of God comes, what does it do? It, it tells you this is spiritual and that's fleshly, and you need to get rid of the fleshy stuff, right? So, and then he says, and his countenance was like the sun shining in its strength. And when I saw him, I fell at his feet as dead, but he laid his right hand on me, saying to me. Now, here's something really important. Uh, John had this experience, and he saw Jesus, you know, and, and he had seven stars in his hand. But if you read further on, and we're going to get to in a minute, it says later on in chapter 1 of Revelation, it says that um, the seven stars are the seven churches. So what did he have in his hand? He had the seven Okay, he had the seven churches, the newborn churches, all right, he had in his hand, all right. So he, so this is what he's saying. He's saying, even while my hand is upon you now, talking to John, my right hand is upon you now, I even so have my right hand, okay, stretched out, all right. And um, yeah, he had his right hand stretched out so that... Um, he was holding the seven churches in his right hand, all right? So what is he saying? His hand is upon his people. That's what he's saying, his right hand. So if you go into the Old Testament and you study what that word means, the right hand of the Lord, the hand of the Lord, it means that his spirit and his power is upon his people, right? Let's go on. Verse, verse, 20, sorry, verse 17. And when I saw him, I fell at his feet as dead, but he, he laid his right hand on me, saying, do not be afraid, I am the first and the last, I am the, the one who lives and was dead, and behold, I am alive forevermore, amen, and I have the keys of Hades and death. Write these things which you have seen, and the things which are, and the things which will take place, sorry, and the things which will take place after this. Then he says in verse 20, the mystery of the seven stars which you saw on your right hand, and the seven gold, and the seven golden lampstands. The seven stars are the seven angels the seven churches, and the seven lampstands which you saw are the seven churches, all right? So, um, right, so, but if you go to um, Hebrews chapter 2, I'm just going to read one more, sorry, Hebrews chapter 2, I'm going in the wrong direction, Hebrews chapter 2. So here we are, Hebrews chapter 2, forgive me again, I was wrong, I meant Hebrews chapter 12. Instead of Hebrews chapter 2. So, Hebrews chapter 12, verse 2 says the following. He says, um, Therefore, we also, since we are surrounded by so great a cloud of witnesses, let us lay aside every weight and the sin which so easily ensnares us, ensnares us, and let us run with endurance the race that is set before us, looking unto Jesus, the author and finisher of our faith who for the joy that was set before him, enduring the cross, despising the shame, and has sat, at the right, uh, sat down at the right hand of the throne of God. So where are we running to? What is our eyes fixed upon? Or what is our eyes supposed to be fixed on? According to Hebrews 12 verse 2, it's supposed to be looking and focused on Jesus, who is at the right hand of the Father. All right? That's where... Our focus should be, oh, I'm seated with Christ in heavenly places. I'm seated. How do I know that I'm seated with Christ in heavenly places? Because Colossians chapter 1 says that. Let's go there. I'll read it. Colossians 1 says the following. Okay. 
Colossians 1 says the following. Forgive me. Uh, Colossians 3 verse 1 says the following. He says, If then you were raised with Christ. So I just want to say, say something here in terms of what Jesus, I mean, in terms of what Paul was referring to. He's referring to Romans chapter 6 that says, If you have been, if you have died with Christ, you have also been risen with him. All right. And he's talking about baptism and stuff like that. But he's talking about the fact of accepting the death of Jesus. Okay. Because he died for what? Our sins. So the moment we receive that gift, it means that we die with him, which means then we're also raised with him. Right. He says, chapter three says, if then you were raised with Christ, seek those things which are above where Christ is sitting at the right hand of God. Set your mind. Listen to what he says. Set your mind on things above, not on things on the earth. For you die and your life is hidden with Christ in God. When Christ, who is your life, appears, then you also will appear with him in glory. All right. So here's the thing. He says that we are seated with Christ. If we die with him, we are risen with him. He says, but then we need to set our minds on it. Where he is seated at the right hand of the Father. Okay, so he says we are seated there, but we need to set our minds on it. In other words, we need to keep reminding ourselves, I'm with Jesus. I'm sitting with Jesus. I need to reaffirm my identity. I need to remind myself of my identity. Oh, Jesus sitting at the right hand of the Father. All right, but we know that he has his hand upon us. How do we know that? Because of Revelation chapter 1. So we are not only seated with him on the right hand, but he has his right hand upon us. In other words, the hand of the Lord is upon us. All right. And so it's important to remind us because he says in Colossians chapter 3, set your mind and keep it set on those things. All right. Hebrews chapter 12 says, looking unto Jesus, where he is seated at the right hand of the Father. In other words, keep your focus on where he is seated, where he is sitting, and where you are sitting with him, according to Colossians chapter 3. All right. And so it's important to fix your focus there. It's important to remind yourself and keep your mindset on those things. God is good. Just turn with me to Hebrews chapter 10. Hebrews chapter 10, verse 12. I'm just going to read this small portion. He says the following. Verse 12, he says, But this man, talking about Jesus, talking about the sacrifice, okay, and how the sacrifices has been done away with. Now he's talking about Jesus and who shed his blood for us. He says, But this man, after he had offered one sacrifice for sins forever, one sacrifice for sins forever, sat down at the right hand of God, from that time waiting till his enemies are made his footstool. For by one offering has he perfected forever those of who are being sanctified. Where are we being sanctified? In our minds. What do we need to do with our minds? We need to keep it set 
on Jesus, who is seated at the right hand of the Father, where we are seated with Him, where He has His hand upon us, His right hand of power and authority on us. In other words, we have been given that power and authority according to Matthew chapter 27, all right? And He also says, and He makes intercession for us, all right? He continuously makes intercession for us. And so because of that, we can go boldly to the throne of grace to ask whatever we will, all right? So, I just want to affirm you and I want to remind you to keep your mind set, all right, on the fact that we have favor with Jesus, all right. We are seated with him in heavenly places, all right. He has his right hand of power upon us, okay. And so keep your mind set on that. Get your mind set on it and keep it set on that, all right, because you have favor with God. I want to remind you that you have favor of God. You have the hand of the Lord upon you. I trust that this bless you. Share this message. Bless you. Thank you for watching. Wow. Um, all right, cl close, um, close the share screen, please. Um, that was powerful. L let me tell you what I, Yaku, uh, uh, listen, you can hear me, right? I can, yes. Yeah. So, um, when I um, when I hit my bottom, drug overdose, tried to kill myself, my whole life was ending as I knew it. Um, back then, there was, I, I felt hopeless. There was nothing left. I had, there was nothing I can turn to, nothing. I had no way of knowing that within a few short days um, that I would start to recover and that a whole new life was, was going to start for me. Um, but when you said uh, in, in the scripture that I had to die in order to be to live again um how when there's the all that you can look at is the death part tell me how how tell me what the message is for people who are feeling at, they've just been arrested they just lost uh, a spouse they just lost a child um, life has just presented the worst possible thing that they could imagine. Um, tell me what the message is here and, and how that comes into their identity and connection with, with God or, or, or Jesus or whatever they happen to believe in. Okay. <clears throat> so, like I mentioned there uh, in, in that video clip, that I believe it was referencing, um, or was referencing, um, John chapter three, where Jesus was speaking to Nicodemus and, you know, and, and, and Nicodemus was asking him about the born again experience. And Jesus was saying, actually, he was asking him about the kingdom, but Jesus answered and said, you have to be born again. So Jesus was referencing the born again experience and Nicodemus was referencing the coming of the kingdom. In other words, the word kingdom, funnily enough, means people, people, you know, in scripture don't, people don't always understand 
the, the meaning of certain words because, you know, we know that the New Testament was mostly written in Greek. And what he was saying was, when he was referencing the kingdom both in Old and New Testament, um, was it speaks about rulership and authority. So true rulership and authority only came through Jesus. And, and you know, because there was, a, there was many prophecies throughout the Old Testament that said, and there will be a kingdom that will come, and there will be a king that will lead this kingdom. And I'm not going to go into detail into it, but basically the king in this kingdom is Jesus. And that was the one. That's why the wise man said, you know, um, behold, he is the one, you know, um, because there were certain promises. And they knew what those promises was concerning this king that was about to come. And forgive me. And through that, they could determine who he would be. In fact, they could even determine when he will be born, which is exactly what they did, um, you know, with the star in Bethlehem. What I'm getting to is that often I believe that when we are at a very low place in our lives, that we, we, what happens is we no longer rely on ourselves. In other words, we, we come to a point where we don't, and, and I'm not saying this is necessary in order for the goodness of God to happen. So what I'm saying is it's not necessary for us to go through hardship in order for the goodness of God to manifest. However, what I do believe is that when, that often when we come to a point in our lives where we are either short of a breakdown or in the middle of a breakdown, what happens is we come to the end of ourselves. And what I mean by that is, we, we come to a point where we realize we actually cannot do it and we need God to help us. And I know that that might look different for every individual because of upbringing, because of background, because of education, because of, you know, just culture, maybe even, um, et cetera, et cetera. Um, or, you know, maybe just the, the house you grew up in for that matter. But what I do believe is, is that there has to be, and myself and Leslie have discussed this many times in many different ways and directions. True transformation, in my opinion, comes when there is a point in your life, and I'm not talking about sin here. I, I'm talking about even when it comes to financial things, like we've been in a place in our lives in the past where we were really in very, in a very, very tough financial spot. And we were so tired of being in that place all the time. You know, it's okay to say for six months, God's going to bring me through. God's going to bring me through. But after two years, of being in that situation over and over continually, you know, and there's some small things where the hand of God was, you know, taking you through, but you never got that real breakthrough in finances. You just was always on the short end of things. When you come to that point, it's sort of like you get to a place where I just can't do this anymore. You know, I just, I just, and it's not my fault necessarily, 
um, and it's not anybody else's fault necessarily. But the bottom line is, is that you, I, we were at a point where we were just like, I am so, excuse my language, but I was so sick and tired of getting to that place over and over mm-hmm. and over. And what happens as a result is it's like, I don't want to have anything to do with my past in connection to that because it's not, it, it, it only inflicts suffering. And in the same way, you can apply that concept to just about, just about every subject or it, you know, because not everybody is poverty stricken or not everybody is went through that specific hardship in terms of financial stuff. But you can apply that to just about every, everything. And when you come to that point, you are truly willing to take on the, the opposite or the, 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 it, which was, of course, in our case, prosperity or wealth, you know, and, and, and yes, that could, can be a process, but, but what certainly did happen for us is a transformation in terms of, you know, I don't want to live on a tiny budget anymore. It's not, it doesn't work. It's, you know, you think it might work. And after two years, you realize it just doesn't work. Mm. If, if that makes sense, what I'm saying. And I'm simply using it as an example of whatever transformation might be necessary um, in, in terms of that. Um, so here we have somebody who has reached the end of the line. Um, this just happens to everyone who, um, who, uh, who I meet. The, the only reason they would call me is because they have no other place to go. Sure. And, um, or, or their, their spouse or their, or their family member or friend will call me. Sure. And, um, I know that there is a path for everyone. I know it. And, but they don't know it. And, they can't trust anybody or anything. A lot of them. They, ju- they, the, they yes. can't trust that they can't trust themselves. Their minds have left them or they've been arrested or something. They're now in trauma. So how do you move from a place of trauma to a place where you can trust anything or anybody sufficiently to start to heal? Um, you know, I think sometimes we, we look for a quick remedy Mm. and, and unfortunately, I don't think there really always is a quick remedy. Yes, Jesus does miracles. I truly believe that. But, you know, the first thing that came to mind when you asked that question about how do you deal with the trauma is, and how do you introduce somebody to the opposite is the, you know, the book of Psalms says, taste and see that the Lord is good. And David actually wrote a song about it. Um, and I believe that you have to come to a point where you are willing to taste. In other words, 
you are willing to take the risk of experiencing um, the goodness of God. And of course, you were asking that question in connection to helping other people, which was what we all know that that's what ministry is about. Um, and both of us, I'm sure, have seen that in many different ways. The, the, and, and, you know, for us, the reason, the, the firm, the number one reason why we, both of us, both myself and Lily, are so sold on miracles is because how do I prove to somebody that God is good and he wants good for them? Because like you said, most people don't even trust themselves. How will they trust you who is intending to be good to them? And most people and even many believers have a problem trusting God and the goodness of God. But at the same token, if people never see the goodness of God, if people never witness it, I'm not even talking about experiencing it firsthand, but if they don't witness it, if they don't ever hear somebody say, God has done this and this and this for me, why will they dare to trust it or dare to try and trust it? And I, I think that, you know, that's why, you know, for example, when we put stuff on YouTube, you know, with like that clip that you just showed in the beginning of the podcast, that's why we do that because I have realized that there are people that will, if they don't witness God, they will never in a million years risk um, trust trusting Him. And, and I think that often, you know, you can tell people, and, and it helps, certainly in, in many cases it helps. You can tell people about it and about what He's done in your life and how good He is. But unless you have a t testimony, about what he actually did for you. And unless you can, can show them that in one way or the other, it's pointless for them to trust. And, and I think, you know, I, I know this is a, sounds like an extreme or a radical explanation, but that's truly what I believe. Because if you come to a place where you really have lost all trust, and I think, most of us have been there to a greater or lesser degree at some point in our lives. If, if, if the goodness of God doesn't intervene, then there's no reason to trust again. And ultimately, the, the, the reason why people lose trust is because they haven't found any. If, if that makes sense. Like, you know, like there was disappointment upon disappointment upon disappointment. Yeah. And of course, we can't always blame everybody around us, but many times people are to blame. And so that's just the, the natural consequence of why I wouldn't trust somebody, mm. in other words. But yeah, I think, I think the, the witness and the, or the testimony and the demonstration of the goodness of God, I think, is is vital um, 
I think it's absolutely vital. So it, it, it feels to me like there, there, there are two things happening here at once. There, there are, there, there's someone who needs to be trusted, who needs the help. He's lost faith, lost trust. And the world is turned against him or her, um, maybe by their own hand, but still. And then there's people who can, who are trying to help. So, um, and they may look at those people who are trying to help as, uh, being exploitive or, 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 um, so Leslie, um, one of the, um, the talks you gave on a Saturday morning was about, um, about identity and office. And it really struck me. And it was one of the things I talked to, uh, uh, Joseph Cohn and, and, uh, and Rick Thorson about because it just struck me. And that is we as, um, as ministers, we're, we're tr- always trying to bring people into their own authenticity to try to find themselves. And we do that mostly through testimony. We do that mostly through speaking about our own journeys through, through bearing, um, and then hopefully giving them the agency and the, uh, and the permission to talk about themselves and find their way through. But we can get caught up kind of in being the message bearer. We can get caught up in thinking that somehow we know better as opposed to people being, you know, in the, on a journey ourselves. And, and so when you were talking about, um, identity, um, the difference between identity and office, I think what you said was, and I'm going to let you t- take it from here was that you've come to learn that your identity is as a child of God, but your office is as a minister. And, when you get if you, when you get those things confused, that everything goes bad. So maybe what you could do is talk to us a little bit about that and how the 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 power that you get is from being the child of someone of of anyone's child who expects their parent to take care of them, and how when we expect things from people we get disappointed but when we expect things from god then we don't get disappointed so that's kind of like the the core of what you were talking about so maybe you could talk about that a little bit yeah um you know i i just want to say leading into that is that um what yaku was just talking about with um with identity right is that um you know, the scripture, actually, this whole talk has inspired me to do a Facebook live teaching later. <laughs> I, I was really thinking about um, identity. And, and so what's really interesting about the Bible, right, and the big book of Alcoholics Anonymous, I'm just going to use those two examples. Mm-hmm. What's really interesting is that over and over in scripture and over and over in the big book, it'll talk about your mental disposition, mm-hmm. okay? So in the scriptures, identity is linked to my mental disposition. So when the scripture says the spirit of your mind, spirit in the Greek also means mental disposition. So if 
my mental disposition in my mind is that I am a human who just takes life as it comes and, you know, I just do the best that I can, right? If that's my mental disposition, what happens is whatever is in my mind is what's created in my life. So my mental disposition, my focus is I'm a human. I, you know, I just take life as it comes and I just deal with it. If that's my mental disposition and I'm a believer or I'm a Christian and I don't realize that my mental disposition is supposed to be that I'm his child, what happens is, is that I miss out on what God intended me to have as his child. Because God, God has given us a free will, right? God has given us the freedom to choose. Okay. So what's really interesting to me is that, you know, in the big book of AA, it'll teach people that they've lost their power of choice, right? They've lost that power of choice, which is true. And what's interesting in the scripture is that there are different spirits that control your mental disposition. So what happens is you do actually lose the power of choice, even in your mental disposition. Mm -hmm. So you have to be set free from certain mental dispositions because what they do is they take away your choice, mm. right? They take away that power that you have to focus on what it is you're supposed to be focusing on. So I, when I think about myself as a child of God, first of all, when I got sober, now this is now 18 years ago. I think I'm 18 years sober, something like that. Me, me, too, got, me, me too. I, I, what's, what, what's your sobriety date? I think it's it's July sixteenth, two thousand two. I'm August. So that's like, I'm August tenth, two thousand two. This is freaking yeah. Me out. So like eighteen years, right? So what I realized, I remember what I used to not be able to explain to people what happened, but I do know now what happened. I was under the power or the influence of a, a bad mental disposition, right? The alcoholism. So it had taken over my ability to choose, right? It was in control of everything that I did. So God, and the big book teaches people that God had to alleviate me of that problem because I couldn't do it myself, right? right? Exactly. Mm -hmm. It's the same in scripture. So the reason that you have to be born again as a believer, the reason you have to become a new identity is because your old mental disposition is not in agreement with your identity as a child of God. So if you are not born again into being a child of God or what the Bible calls adopted into sonship, because Israel was the real children of God, right? And then the Gentiles were allowed to be adopted in when Jesus came, right? Mm -hmm. So how this happens is, is that I have to be taken out of an old mental disposition and put into a new one. And only God can do it. I didn't have the ability to do it. It had to be an experience that shifted me from old to new, right? So when I say that my identity is a child of God, first and foremost, it means that God is well pleased with me just because I'm his kid. <laughs> just, just because I'm his kid. He's happy with me. Just like if you're a parent, Jeff, you don't look at your child and go, man, you know, I'm just really not pleased with you. You know, 
like how you look at your kid is no matter what they do, whether it's good or bad, you love your child because they're your child. So you're pleased with them, whether they succeed or whether they fail because you love them. So it's, if, if that's how we view our children as human beings, then God is so much more. So when God views me, he's pleased just because I'm his kid. So why I said it's important to understand that your identity is as a child of God, first and foremost, is that if your identity, let's say, let's say I'm a prophet in the church. Let's say that's my office. If my identity is a prophet, what happens is if I do well in the prophetic, then I think God is pleased with me. If I do not do well, I think God is not pleased with me. So what happens is I'm now on a merit system to gain God's favor. So I'm doing good. I'm doing good. I'm doing good. God's got to be happy with me. (laughs) I'm doing bad. I'm doing bad. I'm doing bad. God's probably disappointed now. Right. And what that does is it shuts me off from the access to the mental disposition of I'm his kid and he's just happy with me. What I do in my office is my service to people and to God. It's not who I am. (laughs) It's like, if you're employed, Jeff, as a drug counselor, you have an employment as a drug counselor, but you, Jeff, are Jeff. You're not, you're not a drug counselor, right? You know what I'm saying? It's, that's your job. So That's how it is in ministry. My job is to serve people and to help them come into who they are, which is they're a kid of God, and help them connect to their calling, which is their office. Your calling is your office, right? That's your that's your office. But your identity, your mental disposition is you're his kid. You're the child, you're a child of God. Mm. And he's happy no matter what. Because when Jesus was baptized by John the Baptist. It says he came out of the water and the dove descended and stayed on him and remained. And God said, this is my son in whom I am well pleased. And Jesus hadn't even done anything yet. (laughs) All he did was come out of the water. He hadn't healed anyone. He hadn't done anything. So God was already pleased just because it's his kid. So that's, that's why it's so important, that separation. Otherwise, we look at God's blessing or favor on our life. If we have our identity in our office, we look at our blessing or favor on our life based on how well we're doing in our office or how not well we're doing in our office. <laughs> so so the, there's like an important takeaway here, right, for the people who are on the crux, right? People who are on the crux. How about that, right? So, um, because their identity or they thought their identity was as a lawyer or a doctor or a hedge fund manager or something that was material, something that was bringing them success. And then for whatever circumstances there were, it got taken away. Mm. And that they don't know they're lost. They don't know what to do because if I'm not a lawyer anymore, mm-hmm. then what am I? And um, 
it took me probably 10 years in the wilderness to, to, to get to the point where, um, well, first I had to give up drinking and drugging, but that was at the very beginning. And then it took 10 years to get to the point where, where I, I don't need to hold on to that identity anymore. I, that, that there's a whole big, beautiful world universe out there. And if I open myself up to it, then things are going to happen that I can't, that the, I, I, there's no way I could expect, I, I, it would be arrogant of me to even think I know what's going to happen next. If I, if I could, if, if I couldn't have, have anticipated and projected the 10 years before, how could I project or anticipate the 10 years after? So this is what I think everyone I work with, this is the place they're in. They're in that kind of middle place and it's pulling them apart. It's killing them and they're making very bad decisions out of that place of trauma or, or not knowing who they are or where they are. Does that make sense? Yes. Yeah. And, and I think it's interesting that you bring that up because that tearing apart or that sense of, you know, and, and, and just like this question you just asked me about identity and office, right? What happens is, and it happens to people in ministry. I can't tell you how many people we know that have fallen, quote unquote, in ministry because their identity was based in their calling. So what happened is they messed something up. Could be anything. They made a mistake. They messed something up. They've shut their whole lives off from ministry. They're like, ah, God can't use me anymore. It's done. I messed that up. That's it. We're done. So what happens is, is that exactly that tearing apart that you're talking about is that all of those internal tearing aparts is based on value. So if you are, let's say you're a hedge fund manager, I'm a hedge fund manager. My job is going well. We're doing well in, in, in the hedge fund We're we're making profit. Uh, I'm, I got a raise, I got a bonus, whatever it is, right? Your value system is now built up. I'm valuable. I'm valuable. I'm valuable, right? And then something hits and you're not getting the bonus. You're not getting the raise. You're not, you're, you know, the, there's people leaving the fund, whatever. Now you're, I'm not valuable. I'm not valuable. I'm not valuable. And that merit system of value leads you to make bad decisions to try to get value again. Mm. Yeah. <laughs> and what happens, so it's, it's a constant value battle. <laughs> I'm valuable, I'm valuable, I'm valuable. I'm not valuable, I'm not valuable. And we are frozen. Love you just as you are. You're worth everything I've done. It's an eternal value. So whatever I do or don't do doesn't change that value. Mm. It's what he has said about me. Whereas the other value system, that thing you're talking about, about the tearing apart, is you yourself, Jeff or Leslie, 
trying to build your value system. Mm -hmm. And it will always fail. You will always come to a point where you're like, I'm not doing enough or it's not right. It's not this. And you'll make snap decisions trying to get that value system back up and you find yourself in a problem. So any value system that's based on yourself trying to build your value is doomed for failure. Mm -hmm. Any, any value system that's based on what God says about you cannot fail. Because the scripture says he's unfallible. (laughs) So it kind of reminds me of, of chasing the first hit, right? So, so, so as a, as someone who's been in AA for as long as we have, we we hear, you know, all about chasing the first hit, but that first hit can be the deal, the car, the, the house. And, and then we all know that that lasts for a very short amount of time before you need another hit. Yeah. Um, and, and, and yet that's a paradigm that people stay in. Many people stay in until they don't have a choice. What, yes. Yeah, until yeah. They don't have a choice. And we call that a bottom sometimes, yeah. but it no longer works for them for, or, yes. or for, for some, for some reason. And then if they don't, if the underlying value isn't there, the, everything crumbles, the foundation is yes. broken and everything crumbles. Yes. Uh, I want to go, I want to go back to something you said, because it says identity is linked to mental disposition. Yeah. And, and Yaku, Yaku, over the summer, you, you were preaching about ma- manifesting and you, and you, um, you talked about manifesting a little earlier. And if I recall right, what you were talking about was manifesting is an agreement between your heart and what comes out of your mouth and how you can manifest success. And I don't think it's a, a prosperity gospel kind of success, just it could be health, happiness, whatever, whatever it happens to be yeah. by, by, um, by your heart and your mouth or your heart and your hand being in, in, uh, in, in sync in uh, agreeing. So can you talk about that a little bit? Okay. So, you know, many times, um, and, and I think where it's come from is maybe background in a way for me. Um, but you know, many times as believers, People will be taught, and it's not wrong to practice this at all because it certainly helps. We are taught to say the right things and to um, confess the right things and to speak the right things and watch our mouths, not only with cussing and swearing, etc., etc., but also with, um, you know, not being negative and not being. Um, rude and you know all of those things because what comes out of the um what comes out of the mouth the heart is full of yeah says so what whatever is in my heart will come out okay eventually the problem is if we are taught in a mechanical way to say the right stuff not only with 
not cussing and being gentle with our mouth, all those things and speaking positive and not being negative and, you know, speaking success over my own life as opposed to speaking failure over my own life. The problem is, is that whatever my heart agrees with will come out of my mouth and whatever it is in agreement with is what will manifest itself eventually. So what I'm saying, what I'm, what I'm saying by that is, is I can a hundred times in one week, as an example, say, I'm successful. God has called me. I am successful. I have the favor of God. I am successful because God is with me. And whatever, whatever that cue might look like. But if in my heart, I'm not convinced yet. So I believe that I'm a failure, but my mouth says the opposite all the time. Mm -hmm. What happens is I will eventually say what is in my heart. So I will stand in the kitchen and say, this is just not working. But yet I've, I've, I've only said that once or twice in the kitchen in private. But when I'm in front of everybody, I say, oh, I'm a success. You know, God is with me. God is helping me. God is so good. But behind the scenes, I say something different. <laughs> And, and we've all done that at some point, but what I, what I wanted to say is, is that we have to come to a place where my heart can agree with my mouth. Because unless it does, there's no power behind what I'm saying. And, and yes, I can change my mind if I confess the same thing over and over and over. So eventually my heart will believe what my mouth is saying. And so that is true. But to just say that my words have power without understanding that my heart has to believe what my mouth is saying is vain. It's, it's, it's empty, you know. Um, and I think that's what gets to many people is they say the right things. They, they, they be gentle with their mouth towards everybody. But in their heart, they still hurt. You know, for whatever reason, maybe somebody just have done something wrong or they feel like they're a failure because they didn't accomplish what they thought they were going to accomplish. And it doesn't matter what the reason is, but they feel like a failure. And so whenever they speak, even though that sounds good, it, it comes from a place of hurt. It doesn't come from a place of victory. And the only way that it can come from a place of victory or a place of true identity is when we are willing to say, I have actually believed something that is, that is not true identity. I actually have, you know, and, and so, and so that's what repent, repentance really is because repentance means the word repentance in scripture means to change your mind. It doesn't mean you become sorrowful and full of pity and you start crying and weeping before God. That's not repentance. That's just, you know, putting yourself through unnecessary agony. Repentance simply means to change your mind. So what, what I'm getting to is, is that we can get our hearts in alignment with our mouths. And of course, heart there means your way of thinking. Mm-hmm. Um, I can get my way of thinking in alignment with my mouth only when I can say, oh, but, you know, I actually believe the lie. And so I recognize that what I have believed was unfruitful, unproductive, and a lie. And because it was a lie, it was unfruitful and unproductive. 
And then I am in a place where I can adopt the, a new belief or a fresh belief that does produce fruit and that does produce results. You know, I, um, I remember I had just graduated seminary and I was working in an all-black church, an all-black uh, and brown church in, uh, in a very poor city in Connecticut. And I was living in Greenwich, which is wealthiest town in, in Connecticut. So all of the disparities and the social economic issues were going on. Some of the things that I know that you go through when, when you go to the bush or when you go into poverty, poverty places. And, um, one day I said to Lynn, I said to my wife, I said, um, because of some circumstances that happened, I said, I want to start a ministry to support and to serve people who are being prosecuted for white collar crimes in their families. And I remember her saying to me, what do you know about that? Like, like how, what, 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 what's your, what's your expertise in that? Like, what, what do you, what, what would you know about that? And I said to her, I, what, 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 what are you going to do? What are your, you know, she, she was, this was our livelihood. This was our life. And I was, I was committing to this. And she said, like, what? And she goes, so what, what are you going to do? And I said to her, I have absolutely no idea. And that was the first true thing that I said about <laughs> ministry this whole time. I said, I have absolutely no idea. And it, it, it was, it was like the, it became like my banner. Like, just go where this leads, you know, because, yes. because no one's ever done it before. So it, it's not like there was a rule book. It's not like a playbook. I just had to every morning wake up and take a leap and have no idea if it was going to fail or not. And even today, I still have no idea. But I know that the joy is in my heart and I feel purpose. And and I feel connected to God and I feel connected to the people that, that I work with. And it leads me to have a conversation with you. And I feel like you going into the bush is the same thing as me going into someone's house when their lives have completely fallen apart and they have poverty beyond measure. You know, it's just not, it's not just that they've lost their money or they've lost their, it's poverty of spirit. It's just, they are broken. And that I've been put through, I put myself through, or God put me through all of this so that I can be there to comfort them and to heal them and to, and, and to, and for, even if that's a brief moment. And that's, for me, that's the connection. It's the truth. But, 10 years ago when this all started, I couldn't, I couldn't say that, you know, I, there's no way for those, those words weren't there. I had it. They had to kind of like inch their way through and I had to make a lot of mistakes, say a lot of things that were, I didn't really feel, or I didn't mean for finally the truth to bubble up. Does, does that make sense? Mm -hmm. 
Yep. Yeah. <laughs> um, probably we only have a couple more minutes. Um, uh, why don't you tell us like what's what's next on the horizon? Because I know you're not doing the Facebook thing every Saturday and Sunday anymore, and you took a sabbatical. And so those of us who follow you miss you. So what, why don't you tell us like what's, what, what's next in store and what we can expect and, and then how everybody finds you and all of that. Okay. <clears throat> so we, and I'm just bringing this up because this was a part of our transition that we, that we not, finished with yeah quite yet we, we we will be finished probably in two maybe three months so our house in south africa the very house we're sitting in right now we have um renovated and we've you know it needed a lot of attention you know because it, it, it was just there was a number of things so we had we 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 in the process and we about i would say more than 60 percent finished um, probably more than 70% finished, in fact, um, of renovating and redoing it. And of course, we're living in it while we're doing it, which doesn't make it easy. Um, th the reason why is because we, we didn't want to owe anybody anything. So we decided to do it cash, which means we have to use the capital that we had uh, or the money that we have in other words, and um, and are getting in to do this. Otherwise, we would have to loan from the bank, which is what we didn't want to do. Anyway, what this means is is that we, as soon as this is finished, we will do a lot more um, ministry stuff in the area. And the the plan is to instead of doing. Um, we we've given the the uh, the church that we were running we've given that up and they've they, a lot of the people is involved in house meetings and that sort of thing and if I say church I have to elaborate in saying that it was had a very strong focus on missions um, but that focus came more from our side than from the church side if I can express it like that and so we want to even more so uh, put time into traveling ministry and missions. Um, and because our hearts have always been into the underprivileged, uh, ministering to the underprivileged, reaching the underprivileged, and then, of course, um, you know, ministering to those people groups. But what we've also realized, and it's so funny although i don't i don't believe that it's a coincidence is that we are we are going to we are going to set up meetings again regular meetings and but we're going to focus on home meetings and empowering people to have home meetings so that what we do can be duplicated um, through the layman and of course, there's some training that has to go into that. And that's why, why I have or we have started the YouTube channel, because that is the easiest way to get material out there mm. that can 
help people, excuse me, and it can help people and teach people. And so we're still in the growing process with this YouTube channel and putting training material on there. And, um, and so the focus or the, the idea is to have house meetings, uh, train people up, like I said, so that they can, again, train other people up. And of course, this is a process. It's not something that happens in six months. But we, we, we will also, with that, do the Facebook Live meetings again. We were sort of for a time wondering whether we should or shouldn't. But there's been so many people across the world, um, in South Africa, but especially in different parts of the U.S., you know, from the East Coast to the West Coast to the North to the South, that have spoken to us and said, you know, why are you not doing this anymore? Why are you not doing this anymore? Now, I'm, I'm, course, I'm one of them, by the way. <laughs> so what we are going to do then is we're going to incorporate those house meetings with the live broadcast. Mm -hmm. And so, um, and then hopefully the field of influence in terms of training up people will be much broader than just the people sitting in the in our houses mm -hmm. um if, if that makes if that makes sense so because so it'll be it'll be like a house meeting incorporated with a uh live social media meeting in other words um Mm. So, yeah, that that's that's more or less what what that would um, what that would be. And wh where where do people find you on YouTube? So it's called Share the Kingdom. Is the YouTube channel? Is the name of the YouTube channel? Um, just yeah, Share the Kingdom, and um, they'll see us a photo on there. Um, and we are, like I said, we, we're trying to upload regular stuff to, um, to, keep, to keep the channel not only, um, you know, active in a way where it can reach more people, but at the same time, our main focus is to have material out there that people can access that will, especially in the area of identity, equip them to go further. Because as I said earlier, the main thing that we both have realized is that identity is core. Mm -hmm. The training people in identity is core. Um, and if you fail to do that, you're probably going to fail in everything else in terms of impacting people. Um, that's beautiful. Any, any last words before we uh, log off? Anything you want to say, Leslie? No, I just um, no, I just got inspired to do some things during the talk. I'm sure, we'll see them online. Yeah. <laughs> um. So I'm going to encourage everyone who's watching this to uh, find your YouTube channel when you come back on Facebook. It's uh, Yaku, but it's spelled J A C O, like Jocko. That's right. It's Yaku. Yeah. And Leslie Theron, like uh, Charlize Theron, and um, share the kingdom and um, go to the YouTube channel and definitely uh, 
um, um, I'll keep everybody uh, informed on. Uh, remember the summer, last summer I was doing watch parties and I was getting people. Yeah. Uh, I don't even know how you do a watch party. <laughs> it just clicks on. <laughs> I do the same thing. <laughs> I don't even know how you do it. But um, um, I think you're both terrific and uh, so necessary in this crazy world right now. And uh, just voices of. Uh, of, of structure and stability and God and scripture and uh, bless you both. And thank you so much for coming on. Thank you. For having us. Yeah. Okay. Thank you. thank you. Thank you for joining us on white collar week sponsored by progressive prison ministries. You can learn more about us on our website, prisonist.org. That's prisonist like feminist. And please remember to rate, review, and share this podcast so that families suffering in silence can find us if they need us. See you next time.